1: Welcome to Mind Love Episode 92. Today's episode is all about
0: giving back, taking action, and finding meaning. Can I actually make any sort of difference? And it was strange because the foundation was doing great things, yet I was still struggling with this concept of, can one person make a difference? When I got on the plane and was able to get on one of the first planes out of Nepal, I really began to think about what my privilege in my life has afforded me and whether or not i could potentially find the strength in me that i witnessed was i going to shy away from that or was i going to dig down and find my own strength it's these moments of real challenge where i think you see what the big messages are and the message to me in that moment was you may feel small but you need to find your big and you need to find it now it's in you you know we we need to encourage each other to find that light and be that strong up your
1: frequency with mind love bite-sized brain hacks for seekers dreamers and doers it's time to give your mind a little love with your host melissa monte hi friends and wild people first off i want to give a shout out to aaron langerfeld she left such a kind review that totally made my week. It says, Mind Love is the podcast that got me into podcasts earlier this year. A little late to the podcast party, I know. I went back and listened to every episode. Melissa's so open and inquisitive and gracious. You'll be surprised by the new topics that might catch your interest, since each episode is fairly unique. I've even read a few books by guests from the show. Well, Erin, I'm so glad the show's resonating, and thank you so much. I'm so grateful for you taking the time to leave. Leave a review. If any of you other listeners out there take the time to leave a review, you might just get highlighted on the show. And of course, don't forget to subscribe. Subscribers and reviews are really what helps grow the show, which helps me to create more content for you guys. So, speaking of content, have you ever had one of those moments where you just thought, what is this all for? Whether you're caught in the rat race every day or you're always striving for more, more, more. Or you've even achieved more but it just maybe wasn't as fulfilling as you thought it would be i sure have over and over again actually <laughs> i've wanted to sell everything and travel the world And in fact, I actually did do that for a few months, not to the point of technically living for more than a month in a foreign country, which has always been on my bucket list, though. But when my husband and I got married, we did sell everything and travel Europe for a month. And then we came back and road tripped the United States for four months. (laughs) It was a blast, but also really stressful for newlyweds. So unless you want to take the most challenging route possible as a newlywed, I would maybe suggest just going to Cancun to an all-inclusive place for a week or something. But I'll leave that up to you, obviously. Well, even now, I still feel that itch. I live in LA and it's just so expensive to live here. And it's interesting because I used to blame this itch on wanting to find more purpose. And now I have. I'm on a path that really does blow my mind sometimes. I'm so grateful for Mind Love and for all of you guys, but I still wonder what else is out there or what else I can do. So today's conversation is almost needed for me. We're talking to Lydia Dean, the founder of Go Philanthropic. Almost 20 years ago, she had all the things she had been dreaming of, a big house with a white picket fence, a beautiful family. She was making amazing money, but she still felt unfulfilled. She ended up convincing her husband to uproot their lives with their two young kids and go travel the world in search of a deeper meaning. They found a simpler life and fulfillment, and even more, eventually they found ways to give back. So now they have a foundation that partners with smaller grassroots foundations all over the world to improve lives, whether it's on a smaller scale or big life-changing improvements for entire villages. Well, you're very quickly going to see how much wisdom that Lydia has to share. She's confronted the world's problems in person. She's raised a nomadic family. She adopted a child from China. She lived where she didn't know the language and had to start over and over again with no friends. And through all of that, she learned a ton, including how important it is to highlight how similar we are by highlighting our humanity, but also the importance of acknowledging our differences. We cover a lot of grounds in this episode, from stepping out of our comfort zones, raising a nomadic family, and the importance of Learning to really instill everyday philanthropy into our lives. So three key things we will learn are how to break free from the norms and follow your inner voice, the ways we can address our own search for deeper meaning and fulfillment, and how we can each play an active role in global issues, not just by giving money, but in sharing our time and our hearts. Real quick, have you signed up for the Morning Mind Love yet? Sometimes waking up on the right side of the bed can be a little difficult. The Morning Mind Love delivers short messages to your inbox with a thought or a tip to start each day on a positive note. I get messages from people every single day about how the Morning Mind Love is their favorite way to start the day, or that the message that came through is exactly what they needed to hear. Just visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. Plus, you'll get some amazing free gifts when you do. You'll get a free guided binaural affirmation meditation designed to rewire your brain to your highest self. And you'll get one of my favorite tools, a really cool booklet of Powerless, to help you gain clarity and live with intention. And it's all completely free. Just go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, just text the word MORNING to 33777. That's MORNING to 33777. And now let's welcome Lydia Dean to the show.
0: Thanks so much for having me.
1: So I am so inspired by your story. I have that drive to be a nomad. Also, I have traveled around the world with my husband, not at the lengths that you have, but it's definitely in my heart to do so. So I'm so excited to learn from you and your story. So give us a little background on what first inspired you to uproot your entire family without a game plan.
0: Well, first of all, I'll say that when I was little, um, growing up, you know, we all have the things that kind of we think about when we're little and little passions. And so many of us kind of put them in a special little box and we tuck them away and then shove them under the bed or wherever. And for me, it was um, traveling and also anything that had anything to do with like caring for the world or being a caretaker for the world. I was fascinated with Mother Teresa and and so all of those things I just tucked away and it was unfortunate that I did because I wasted a lot of time and I got on another path, the path that so many of us are kind of taught to get on, you know, a secure job and and just 401k so early on where, you know, just security stuff. and. I got married rather, I mean, kind of early in comparison to, you know, how things are happening now to my high school sweetheart. And we were about in our mid twenties. We had a really successful, um, headhunting consultant business. We had a, uh, we were onto our second home. So we kind of upgraded from the starter home. We had two kids and, you know, a housekeeper and I had this beautiful white picket fence. And I sat at it and stared at it every day as I went to work in my home office. And I just couldn't have been more unhappy with where I was at. And so the journey just kind of starts there. I, I always had it in me to see the world and then later to want to really work within it. But I ignored it. And I think that's a shame. And I'm I'm hoping these next generations embrace this more, embrace more of a a free sense of, you know, pursuing what makes them tick. But in in my generation at the time, we were kind of taught to stay between the lines. And I had, you know, just kind of a mini, mini early breakdown in life over that, which then led me to great stuff. But yeah, so that's kind of how it started.
1: You said that you were unhappy where you were at. And honestly, I know a lot of us sense that unhappiness and our first instinct is to try harder or to get more of all the things that everyone else is aspiring to earn better cars, better houses, bigger, better everything. How did you know that it was the opposite
0: of that, that you needed to go follow? Well, I didn't. In fact, I thought something was wrong with me and I just looked around and nobody else was feeling the same way. And then there was this terrible feeling of guilt that I'd been given all of these wonderful opportunities in life and abundance and that I wasn't appreciating them, or that's how I felt that if I want something other than this, I must not be appreciating what I have. Which wasn't the case at all in reality, looking back, it was just that there was something more out there for me to find, and it, it didn't come in that that box on that suburban street it came in in another form, and so I, I just dealt with that guilt for a long time, and i I think that other people do you know deal with it that way too that okay, well, like you say, maybe I just need to to work harder or get more or kind of numbness feeling. But I think that what I was being told from my, what I know now is an inner voice that it's, that we need to listen to more. I was searching for less. I was searching for simplicity. I was searching for time with my two young babies. I was searching to understand the world. And the more I didn't listen to it, the more my world came crashing down. And I'm thankful for that because I certainly wasn't figuring out what my next steps needed to be on my own. I was just kind of paralyzed in that guilt, you know, what do I do next kind of stage. So I had to have the crisis. So you couldn't just
1: have this crisis on your own and make a decision just for yourself. You did have a family and a husband. What was it like getting them on board? I mean, the young ones were young, so they had to be on board. But what was it like getting your husband on board with that?
0: Well, not easy, not easy, because I didn't know what I was searching for. Now, also clear, I look back, I was searching for my purpose. I was searching for meaning. I was searching to get out from this construct that didn't feel right. But back then, I didn't know what it was. I just knew I was unhappy and I wanted to get out. And he knew I was really unhappy. And he was really supportive in that sense. He said, "Okay, well, why don't you stop working, for starters? Embrace motherhood bring the kids home from preschool that they had been in since like, you know, six weeks old. And so he knew that was a good step. So that was my first step was to stop that noise of, you know, work and this juggle between young mother and professional life, because that is it. That's a tremendous struggle. And I know a lot of people can relate to that. But you just never feel like you are in the right spot. You're just split in half. So I did that. And it was a beautiful moment, uncomfortable because I was underconfident as a mother. But what I did was I would like, you know, strap them on my back, you know, in a backpack and the other one in my hand. And we'd go down to the public library and I would just kind of go up and down the aisles of books. I just let the books kind of come to me. And I just sat in various rooms on the floor while they were playing for, you know, the first six months and just dove into reading about people who had left normal lives and had done different things. And it just ignited something in me. It was so comforting. I knew, I knew that I wasn't totally messed up. And I know that actually putting this together right now, which is really weird, the fact that I've since written a book. And I know that it's brought comfort to other people that felt so out of place and so lost. But I found that first step in books. And then he said, Okay, why don't we go away to Costa Rica for a few weeks? And he brought his business with him so he could work and you know, I, he knew I needed some level of foreign kind of jump somewhere. And we did that, but it was a band aid; It wasn't a place I was looking for. It was something much, much more fundamental. So when we got back from that trip, I really kind of pushed the envelope a little too hard and was like, I don't really want this life that we've created. And I admitted in the book, there was one very big piece of furniture that flipped upside down I was not so happy that I was undermining everything that, you know, you're supposed to want. But yeah, no, it it calmed down. And we came to a conclusion that we would risk what we had built to find what could be more.
1: We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, The Dr. John Deloney Show is here for you. Listen to The Dr. John Deloney Show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. So I'm curious about the evolution of that desire that you felt pulled towards, because at first you were just, you thought you were looking for a place. And over time, you ended up developing this incredible philanthropic foundation. So tell me how it went from travel to doing more and and this deeper
0: meaning and fulfillment. Okay, so that's where I am now, like, you know, 18 years later. But there were so many steps in that journey. And I'll just preface the the next bit by saying that when we are frustrated, and we want this something else, and for me, I knew it was foreign and maybe helping. And that's all I knew. But you think you have to have the whole strategy and the whole map kind of laid out for you. But what, what I learned along the way is that you don't, you just need to follow you know, the steps that are kind of put in front of you and the doors that open and that you don't always need to know more than that. So our next step was my dad had this village house in the south of France. And we thought, well, we kind of are married, kind of at a fragile period at that point, because of this whole thing that was going on that I couldn't quite explain to him. And so we agreed to go away to the south of France for a year. And again, he brought the business and During that year, you know, we just discovered life. I mean, we had so much fun, you know, picking fruit off of trees and eating new food. And yeah, you had to work a little bit, but you know, it or a lot, but you know, there was so much going on in the day, the kids learned French right away at this village school we were staying at life was super, super simple. And that year turned into seven years. And during that time, I didn't do any humanitarian work at all. What I did during those seven years, and it's funny because I now can see things happening in cycles of seven years. I don't know, most of you believe in the seven year cycle, but there are so many things that happen in seven years. And so in those seven years, I didn't get any closer really to my dream of giving back to the world. But I did do a lot of travel um, and I did get to see a lot. And it made me think a tremendous amount during those seven years about what's happening out there in the world. And I was it was like I was observing from the sidelines, but I wasn't ready to act just yet. So. I know it can be so different
1: taking those big leaps with the family. People become worried that they need to give kids stability and these roots in their homeland and whatever. So how has that been for you? What's been the balance for that?
0: Oh, that's been great. I know now, because I've got three and two of them are really big. Well, feel really big. They're twenty three and twenty-one. It feels really big to me. That that leap of faith was so important for all of us because I think number 1 we like I said we became alive again as a couple and that just reverberates through the whole family and financially we kind of just kept our heads above water literally for six or seven years so we weren't you know on any sort of financial ladder of any sort but the kids you know kids don't know or care any of that they pick up on how often you smile on the energy in the air. And it was just such a great period in time. So and they got to experience another language, another culture. And, you know, yeah, they felt a little bit different at school because they were considered the the little Americans. But I just think it gave them such a broader, richer view of the world. And One that they carry with them and are entering into their own lives with that, not thinking that there's any level of superiority because we come from a country that has a tremendous amount of resources. It doesn't mean that, you know, we're any further along in other important areas of life. So I feel like it was the biggest gift that we gave them, that leap of faith. And now I see them taking their own little risks and not not fearing failure too much. Oh, that's so cute. What? What's an example of that? Well, one of them is a recording artist, a budding recording artist in LA. And, you know, getting into that industry is so rough. It's just so rough, um, the highs and the lows. And he continues to walk and have his dream. I don't know that he has fear of failure front and center in his life. I think he's got what he wants to do. And there's, you know, realistic days where you got to bring the money in and somehow be able to pay for your motorcycle or your, you know, whatever your food, but you know, you stay committed to what brings you alive. And I think he got that from having it around him and he didn't, you know, just get it from us picking up and moving to different places around the world. But, you know, later the sacrifices that went into building, A foundation and, you know, a devotion to caring for the world as a whole. So when you tuck that into it and they got to, the kids got, they were really a part of, of building and creating a vehicle that not only we as a family, but other people could, could be connected to the world and, and make a difference. They saw that. So I know it kind of sunk in and I know that they know that life and our time here is really, really precious and that we need to be careful with it. And we, when we're tapping into what we love to do, we're going to give back naturally. So I see them devoted to what they love to do, you know, first. And then you have to kind of put the pieces together, whether or not it's going to work financially. But, you know, you you just stick to it. (laughs)
1: It's so true. I mean, so many of us were raised with this idea of creating some secure life, like having all this padding just in case, or when we when we retire, having that 401k when we're really young to help us feel secure. But it's so funny because so many of us go through life and we don't feel secure by that, but we think that we should. And so there's this disconnect the entire time. And I've never really thought of it in the way of what if you did just teach your children to take risks and that there's nothing more insecure than living a life that you're completely unhappy in if just because it's what's expected of you? So I really like that you instilled that in. And I'm curious, what did you do though? Because I know it's still hard, especially when you're moving again and again and you've got to do everything over again. What did you do to really ground yourself in those times of stress?
0: I think that. Silence and nature; those two things together have really given me the clarity that I've needed. Like way back in that first, you know, step out the door to Costa Rica. What was beautiful about that experience was that we could connect to nature, and it was quiet. And in those periods of quiet, I think we're able to feel more, and we'll, we're able to see, and, and you, know, you know, we just you just have more clarity. Well, I've had a, a lot of moments where I didn't know what the next step was or if I wanted to, to go on. For example, four years ago, and I was well into building the foundation at that point and working with some amazing organizations on working in human trafficking and child labor and some really tough global issues Well, I was over in Nepal during the earthquake and I was alone, and it was a very, very scary experience because I mean, it was a massive earthquake. Nine thousand people died. There were serious subsequent earthquakes afterwards, uh, one really big one and i we were sleeping outside after the earthquake, and I just remember having my body on the earth and feeling the tremors over and over, the aftershocks over and over and over again, and not knowing what was happening around me and just the grief that you could feel around. And I thought, I am, I'm alone here. I'm away from my family. I'm far. I'm in a a difficult situation that I can't fix. I can't make anything better here with this situation. And I just felt very small and very scared and very insignificant. And I just wanted to stop doing what I was doing because I thought, you know, what could I possibly do to make this situation any better? And I just thought, i would just throw the towel in. this is it. I've put my time in, but I didn't.
1: <laughs> gosh, that must've been terrifying. I mean, even at little earthquakes for me, I'm like, oh my gosh, there, <laughs> there's one. And to be in a whole nother country where who knows how people would even go about looking for you, or if it would be the same as if something happened where you're from, that's so scary.
0: Yeah, it it really was, and it was a it was a big turning point for me, and it made me really think about what our our role is. And you know, I think up until that point, in a, in all the work that we'd done at Go Philanthropic, which is really we really we work just to back up a little bit. We work with really small grassroots organizations around the world, and we we partner with them, and we don't come in assuming that we have any solution. We come in providing funding. Uh, but not at infinitum. You know, we provide support in all sorts of ways if they need help with building stronger organizations and and just becoming more self-reliant. In the years of building the foundation and, and seeing so many people work so courageously in such difficult areas and conditions, I was constantly humbled by what they do And so we helped to provide a voice for them and more exposure because many wonderful organizations are so cut off from any sort of international exposure. And they're they're doing what we call the heavy lifting out there. and Nobody even knows they're doing it. But I kind of continued to carry this weight of responsibility for all of the the wonderful people and programs that we were working with. It was kind of this constant feeling that how are we really going to help? I mean, I knew that we were, and we were, we were able to channel some important funding and doing all sorts of things. But like me personally was feeling as though, can I really personally make a difference? Can I actually make any sort of difference? And it was strange because the foundation was doing great things. And yet I was still struggling with this concept of, can one person make a difference and a small difference. And so I, when I got on the plane and was able to get on one of the first planes out in Nepal, I really began to think about what my privilege in my life has afforded me and whether I was just going to not continue doing what I was doing or whether or not I could potentially find the strength in me that I witnessed and I witness on a day in and day out basis within the programs and the people who are dealing with tough, tough things around the world. Was I going to shy away from that or was I going to dig down and find my own? my own strength, and that maybe there was something to do with that. And I remember connecting in Amsterdam and I was like a a terrible wreck. I suffered from PTSD for at least 18 months later. But in that moment, I'm sure I was still in shock. And it just kicked in. I knew that I had an opportunity to fundraise in the early days. I knew that probably I'd be one of the first landing in Los Angeles who had come out of the earthquake with real news about what, what it was and and what had happened and the the need. And, you know, we've got to bond and, and, and get our resources going. And so within a couple of hours of being home, I was on the local news and doing what I could to, to get the resources where they needed to go. So it's these moments of real challenge where I think you see what the big messages are. And the message to me in that moment was, you may feel small, but you need to find your big and you need to find it now. And, you know, it's in you. And that has been a, a bit of a game changer because now it's interesting to see it in other people, their, their desire to want to find their big too. And we shy away from that. We really do. And there's, you know, we, we need to encourage each other to, to find that light and be that strong.
1: know a lot of people can relate to that idea of, well, is my $5 going to make a difference? Is my hour helping here going to really make a difference? And I felt that too. So how is it different though when, you know, when you're giving money, sometimes you don't see that direct connection of what you're doing, but a lot of times you're out there on the front lines of these global issues Has that created a sort of connection with the work that you are able to do or the impact that you're able to see?
0: Well, I can tell you, first of all, that every $5, every dollar, every cent makes a difference because when you accumulate that, you know, it gets bigger and it goes a long way. But I honestly, you know, taking the money aside, our desire to want to do something good and and us taking some sort of action to do that that goes far in like the universe, if you believe in that that type of thing, that energy that's in you that says, I want to, yeah, all, you know, you're at the grocery store, I'll put in my extra couple dollars or I'll do this or I'll do that big, small, large, medium, whatever size it is that that's something that's in you that's being sent out into the world. And that's a beautiful thing. And I don't like to measure that at all in terms of size of a contribution. I do think something very, very special happens when we are able to experience it in person and when we're able to see just how far that $5, $10, $100, $1,000 goes in the lives you know, of people who don't um, have access to the very, very basics. So we have a philanthropic travel company, and we basically take people around the world, and we provide the opportunity to sit and listen to the people who. Are taking the lead in their communities to ensure that people do have access to the basics. And it's amazing to hear from them. Again, going back to understanding this special kind of courage that they have to do what they do. It's amazing to see what they do with so little. And, you know, once you see it in person, then you really know, you really feel some of our differences because of our economic situations. You see them melting away and you actually feel a part of humanity. And I think that's a really powerful moment. And in that moment, you think, well, what can I do now? And again, we don't need to know what that is. We Once we feel it, I think we just let let it unfold. We've been able to see that happen with so, so many people because we take them to the doorsteps of these wonderful organizations quietly doing such great, great work. So it's all about kind of learning first and opening up. And then the steps that we take after are very personal, and it just kind of unfolds in so many different ways for different people, but something always happens. So I hope I answered your question.
1: Yeah, it's fascinating. I'm curious too, you said a few things like how when your organization, Go Philanthropic, goes into new areas and you actually meet with people that are taking a lead in their communities and you listen to them and you don't expect that you're always going to come and just know what to do better than they do. And I know that America has that reputation sometimes of going and, for example, I remember somebody telling me like, yeah, they just went and dropped resources. And I was like, what's wrong with that? And they're like, well, that doesn't help build their economy. And in the long term, it can make things worse or whatever it might be, just little examples. So I love that you actually listen and work with those people who have firsthand experience where they're from. Can you give me an example of a time where listening to a leader in a community or to somebody who is already living there changed your mindset of what you initially
0: thought you were going to do to help? Oh, that's that's a good one because you're getting right to to the heart of it. Uh, we've always listened first. So thankfully we don't have too many situations where we're kind of putting our ideas and our thoughts first. We partnered with I got the opportunity to go to India and meet with a woman who works in the brickyards where children are forced into child labor. And she it was a real eye-opener for me because I went in thinking. You know, how could you send, how could any mother, how could any mother send their child to work in the labor camps or or into any sort of labor situation? And these are migrant families that move around and do this type of work at various times of the year. And it just seems so black and white to me that there was a right and wrong to it. And what I've learned with her, because we've worked with her for many, many years now, is that there's this whole kind of, there are all these layers to what goes into that situation, beginning with a migrant family who doesn't have their ID card. So they're not recognized as Indian citizens, for starters. So if you're not recognized as an Indian citizen, you don't really know your rights. So they're considered sort of um, underneath the untouchables. So they're, they're just sort of not recognized at all. And so they don't know what their rights are. And if you don't know what your rights are, you don't know that your child has the right to, to have education at a certain age. They're often trapped in trapped in, in bonded labor. So they don't, don't know that what's being what's happening to them is not right and that they have rights to get out of it. And of course, within that you have the family system where a woman is far from being empowered. I mean, she doesn't have a say, and there's a lot of abuse. So, and this is, you know, taking a layer of society that is ignored, is marginalized, is treated, you know, not, not like human beings. So for me to come in on that day and say, how could you send your child in to make bricks when they should be at school is just so naive. And when you learn about all the different variables that go into that situation, and then all the different variables that have to come into play to make it better, and it's not just, you know, some donor from the U.S. coming down and writing a check for $20,000 or five or whatever to rescue them from the brickyards. You know you have to work at the government level and you have to work with the brickyard managers and you have to work with the family. And it's very, very complex. Everybody has to do their part. So we're much better off as outsiders coming in and sitting and listening and learning and allowing the honorata Bosle, and she's the one who's heading this program up, to know what best steps to take. And so you're quickly humbled because there's just no way you could know what's going on nor, nor how to fix it.
1: I remember years ago learning that the Hershey's and Mars companies use child labor to create their products. And so it was one of the first things that I was like, I'm a huge chocolate addict. I love chocolate. Now I'm vegan, so it's vegan chocolate. But that was the first thing. It was a big deal for me to cut that off because I was still eating dairy mm-hmm. chocolate. <laughs> and um, and somebody told me, yeah, but here's the thing. In those countries, children need to work. They don't really understand a different way. They're bringing money to their families. And I honestly didn't know what to say to that. It's like, well, if that is how that economy works or what am I doing boycotting their only source of funds for their family, like somebody who's actually been there and seen these problems firsthand, what do you do in a situation like that that seems unsolvable? Do you boycott the company or do you continue to support?
0: Well, I think we we all have to make personal choices in our days. Uh, Now we have a responsibility to make those choices, be it, you know, single use plastic or knowing that, you know, where our clothes are being made. If if we know if we are in the know, then we we have to. I I feel that we have a responsibility to make those choices in our day. But, you know, in terms of understanding what's happening happening, say, in child labor, human trafficking, and all the the, the kind of deep and complex layers that go into that situation, I think that we have to help to provide those who are closest to the problems and working at that grassroots, we have to allow them space to voice what they know. This certainly, the answers are certainly not going to come from the big, what we call INGOs, international non-governmental organizations. These answers are not going to come from big institutions. They're going to come from people who are working day in and day out, solving their problems at the grassroots. And they're there because we've been doing this now for long enough to know that there's tremendous change happening in communities and at the grassroots. It's just that there's no visibility for their work and there's not enough partnership and collaboration at all the various levels to give them the true leverage that they need to change their root issues, the fundamentals of what are what's happening. So, you know, our efforts are really there. It's, you know, it boils down to providing voice and space for that voice. And also encouraging people, your everyday mom, like I was your everyday anybody to know that their desire to make a difference, there's room for it. And we need it and follow whatever passion you have to get involved in whatever it is that makes you go because I thought I couldn't make a difference. I thought it it didn't matter. And I know that not to be the case now. So yeah, hopefully. And Jumping the Picket Fence was a book that was written about that uncertainty and fear and the need to kind of jump over that fence and see what's on the other side of our fears. And it's just not always clear. You know, it's it's a scary, scary thing to do.
1: I have referred in the last few episodes about this weird dark night of the soul I had a couple of weeks ago. And I realized I was on social media too much. And I was justifying it by running my business and all of these things. And I was planning for the next step. And I started to realize in this yoga class that I was living completely in my head. And that is what sometimes even being online too much can do because none of that's tangible. None of it's real. It's this concept that's technically in your head. And so what I did was I completely cut myself off from it. I was averaging like just minutes a day on my phone, which was huge. It was like down 86%. And I realized that when you cut yourself off from this weird source of nothingness that you've dived into, the only thing left to do is do, take action. And I felt so much better about everything, even if it wasn't answering some question that I had floating around in my head. It was action. It was tangible. And so even if it is helping one person at a time, actually getting your hands in there and seeing it face to face and moving your body, I think makes such a difference in the way we feel and the way we connect to other people rather than just isolating ourselves behind our screens. And so what I love so much about what you're doing is that you're going right to the front and you're interacting with these people. And I can imagine it's changed the way you
0: connect. Am I right? Oh, definitely. I definitely feel like it's led by by heart. And I know that sounds kind of cheesy, but you learn to just kind of feel, feel your way through things and to trust what you're feeling and trust where it leads you. And I I don't know how much of that we can do through our devices. And I, for me, I had to hit the road and do this thing, but I I don't think we need to all, I don't know if I, I refer to this book a lot, The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho, kind of a, a classic. And, and, you know, here's this shepherd that had decided that he had to, you know, Go around and see all of these places and take this wild journey. When actually his answers were inside all along, and he didn't really need to go anywhere. But you know, we have to. I had to to begin to feel what was inside of me and let that that lead. And I, I think there are so many elements to our day now that create that barrier. And you know, it can be anything from our own sense of responsibility ability and obligation to get done and you know tick our boxes and accomplish this and that to the sense of time that we have that is crazy that we we, like there's never ever going to be enough so we've got to rush through things because there's only so much time in the day then we have our screen time and our netflix and our i mean it's just endless you know when you just kind of shut it down it's been the most powerful thing to me in my life has been nature and silence because i've It's been the only way I've been able to see through that, that fog. It makes perfect sense because I mean, with our devices and everything that,
1: like I said, it's all in our heads. And one key phrase that you said is you had to feel certain things in your body and to find that stillness and that nature when you're in nature, you're just connected to life. It's life and you. And so instead of all these voices that are chattering us through our news feeds, we can actually feel what our body is trying to tell us. And how are you going to listen to your body if you're not living in your body and you're living in your head instead? And so I love that. And I'm curious, though, you have made a lot of these connections with what you've learned. And you said even in The Alchemist, how everything was inside of him. And so maybe he didn't need to go anywhere, but would he have even understood that that was already inside of him if he didn't take that adventure? And so with having to write a book and all of that, you've had to process in a different way that maybe other people would about all your experiences. And even more so, you've been guiding your children through this. So whereas you might be kind of dealing with things as it comes, how have you been explaining to your children the deeper meaning of all of this and helping them through the tough times of being a nomadic family?
0: Well, I don't have the answers, nor probably will have the answers. I just in the moment was able to kind of bear it all. And in in writing the book and in raising the family, I just, I didn't have this, didn't have the energy to put up those kind of false everything's good or whatever. So in in the really tough moments, I was just kind of real about it and they've they've seen the good, the bad, the ugly. They know they they know that life isn't perfect or that there are any easy answers to take off the shelf. I I think what we realized is that life is hard for everybody. You know, I see so much unhappiness in the US. Now I don't live there anymore and I live in the south of France and there's unhappiness here. I see unhappiness in Nepal and in Guatemala, and I see unhappiness in the US. We're all really struggling with how to manage this love thing. And I don't think we do a very good job being vulnerable in that moment. We do a lot of work sort of covering up for it. And as we cover up for it, we're not showing each other that we're having a tough time too. So I guess for them, they just, I guess they learned from being real in the moment and and honest and not perfect and not having the answers. Because I don't think any of us really have the answers for each other. You know, going back to sort of, you know, looking inside, I have found my answers there. And when we work with communities around the world now, we don't assume we're bringing those answers. We're assuming that they they are finding their answers there and, and that we can stand by and, and be partners in that, but that we can't be responsible for fixing it, nor could do we have the, we just don't. We don't have the privilege of understanding, you know, how we could fix that. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't act. It doesn't mean we shouldn't act. It's just that we've got to do ourselves. We've got to really do our work on ourselves. And then I think we'll be better at, at helping each other through those challenges, but yeah, vulnerability has played a really, really big role in in my life, and isn't always a fun place to be, but has helped has helped a lot to just yeah risk it and you know bear all <laughs> <laughs> so being a transplant
1: in so many different areas and even you uh, along the way, which we didn't even touch on, you adopted a, your third child from China, and so what has it been like to immerse yourself in all of these different cultures has it changed the way that you view humanity and how so
0: yeah it has it's it's just given me a broader spectrum i think ultimately we're very very much the same on the interior but that our differences are really important so and i'll i'll use the example of isabel our daughter who's now 14 from china we're going through some difficult times and we were getting some help from a therapist. And she, she brought up, well, you know, how does it feel to be in a family where you're, you know, you're a different race and what do your parents say about that? And she said something about us telling her that, and I confirmed this, that it didn't matter what the color of our skin was. It just didn't. Um, we're all the same and inside. We have a heart and feelings. And, you know, when you break it all down, we're all we're all the same. And this therapist said to me, do you understand how much you're minimizing what she's feeling by saying that? Consider what you're saying. And I thought, how could that be taken like negatively? <laughs> And I was really, like, really had a tough time with this for several days after moving it around in my mind. What did that mean? And, you know, as much as I wanted Isabel to feel very, very much a part of our family, while I was kind of ignoring the fact that and accepting and honoring the fact that she is different, she's Asian, we're not, you know, that's a fact. And the more we try and kind of ignore that or try and, you know, not recognize that difference, maybe the more, you know, we're helping, we're we're feeding that sense of of not belonging. So what I've learned about humanity and having all of this really, really precious and unique experience is that we're all very much the same, but we're different. (laughs) And that beautiful balance of recognizing the two it's not one, just one. And it's not the other. We can't just highlight our differences and not not feel our collective humanity. And we can't just feel all together and not honor our differences. And I've lived that way in our home life and, you know, have spent probably too many years wanting to, yeah, want her ma- to just tuck her in and make her feel just all the same when she might be saying, hey, let's chat about me being Asian. And that's important.
1: I get that because I remember one time hearing somebody say, I don't see color. And an African American friend saying, Well, that's not fair. They were almost offended by it. And I was like, How can you be offended by that? I see the intention behind what those words were. But then I'm going to break it down to something so dumb and maybe not even the same. But I know the times where I might be stressed out or upset over something that my husband doesn't understand. And if he answers like, no, everything's fine. Like he thinks that's going to make me feel better. Like everything is fine because it is, but my feelings don't feel validated in that moment. Instead, I want him to listen and be like, it's okay. You're crying or whatever it might be, or it's okay. Like just talk about what you're feeling. And so to give a voice to those differences and, and learn from the differences and then also focus on the, The similarities, though, because I think we forget to do that so many times. And there's so much about America right now that is so divided. So I can see the learning in that experience for you. I also am wondering, when we are trying to go out and be active in the world and take an action, I think some of the hardest things for a lot of people are not knowing where to start. Example, Mm -hmm. my cousin was the one who kind of actually guided me onto the vegan journey, but she posts about different environmental things all all the time. And she was angry about how many people are in uproar over the straw thing. And it's like, you know, straws are the least of our worries. Why is this the biggest thing everyone's talking about? And I remember saying, yeah, but, you know, it's the gateway drug to bigger giving. It's for the people that don't feel like they can do anything, but they're like, okay, maybe I can switch out my straws, <laughs> you know? And so what do you think is a good step for people who have no idea where to start, no idea which organizations are worth supporting? And, you know, yeah. it's just overwhelming.
0: Yeah. That's a super tough question and, and really important. Let's start with the fact that your cousin posted something, right? So she's passionate about something. She cares about it. She's thinking about it. She's taking a stand on it. And, and in her doing that, you know, kind of like sparked some thought or feeling in you. And it made you think, well, what about this and what about that? And one thing leads to another and you find your way to making some life choices about what, you know, how you eat and how you want to interact with the world. So that I've always felt that, you know, we have to be led by what matters to us. So let the let the interest, you know, be guided. And number one, if we're so like into our crazy lives and noisy lives that we we don't know what we're being drawn to. I mean that's the shame. You you have to know what your interests are and what what matters to you and then be led by that and then be led to, you know, people who know more than you about that and read about them and connect with them and then see what they're up to and who they're collaborating with and where there might be a spot for you around the table, or I don't know, the doors just tend to open up. But I think it begins with what you're drawn to and what what has meaning to you as a unique individual. And that's going to be so different for all of us. And let that take the lead. And then absolutely, like do your homework and read or whatever way you can get your information, figure out who the thought leaders are in that area, and then see what you think about it. You might actually disagree with them. so. I think it's a journey. It's a journey to finding it. It's not a quick, you know, jump from A to B, how to get involved in in the world or causes or whatever it is. I think it's it's a multi-step process that is just kind of an unfolding that that leads you. And so much we don't want to skip all those good steps anyway, because there's there's stuff that goes on in there.
1: It's such a good point. And we started this interview talking about that moment when you're like, Well what about the 401k and all of these different senses of security that you thought you had? So after almost two decades of following your heart and creating a bigger purpose and and a deeper meaning in your life, what gives you security now? And at that point of retirement, you know, that's what well, so many of us are so worried about giving up. Do you have a path? Has something else unfolded for you where that's no longer a fear anymore?
0: Yeah, actually, I'm at a a unique kind of turning point where I'm really interested to see more. I I wanna write another book. Um, I'm starting to write another book called The Other Side because I feel as though we tend to just see what we see. And I think there's a lot more going on out there than we see, and it means a seeing beyond our eyes. it means a a seeing from using all of our senses and and maybe you know our spirituality as well, so the whole security thing i, I gotta be honest, like I would give it up to find truth in life. I just would i mean that's where i'm at i'm I'm hellbent on seeing the truth and feeling the truth and sharing it, sharing whatever it is that I providing that light um, along the way, the security thing, I I know it's very important, but I think there are bigger things at work. And I think that we have a terribly unbalanced world where resources are are just, they're not balanced at all. And it's unfair. And I think we should be working more on balancing that out than on kind of creating our mountains of security for ourselves. So that's kind of where I'm at.
1: Thank you so much for sharing your light and all of this inspiration. I know I already feel like I want to hang up and take action. So for people who are resonating with you and want to learn more about your organization and your book, where is the best place to
0: connect with you online? The book can be found on Amazon, a Kindle or book format. If you're interested in, in global issues, grassroots community issues around the world, you can check out gophilanthropic.org. If you want to travel with us in small groups to kind of Really experience this firsthand. We have several trips throughout the year, and you can check that out at uh gophilanthropic travel.com. And I have a website with the various activities that I'm involved with, uh go Phil and Writing and all that at lydia Yeah, and that that should cover it. But yeah, invite anybody to come along with us as we as we do what we do.
1: All of the links in this episode will be at mindlove.com slash zero nine two. And I don't know about you, but I'm inspired to go out there and give my time. Those things really do make a difference. Every time I give my time or help somebody else, what, regardless of what's happening in my life, it usually takes so many of my troubles away. A few years ago, my husband and I were you know, struggling to build businesses. It was right in the beginning of our marriage. He had a business. He, We were both young, trying to get this thing off the ground. And it just felt like we were hitting the grind every single day. Well, it was so interesting because by chance, kind of, one of his first big clients ended up being a nonprofit. And he quickly realized that he had so much more fun on the project because he was also going to their events. And there was a really fun event called Skate the Lake where you'd get people to sponsor you and everyone would skateboard around Lake Tahoe. It was a blast. Well, through that, he ended up Getting referrals from more and more nonprofits, and eventually decided a few years ago that that was going to be his specialty websites for nonprofits. And even now one of his favorite things to do is volunteer with this nonprofit called The Painted Turtle where it's for kids with special needs and sometimes even their siblings because a lot of times the siblings of kids with special needs don't get as much attention as a normal kid because their parents are wrapped up in the their other child that needs in their eyes more attention. So anyways, he participates in these Camps every year and he's a camp counselor and he always comes back glowing so I just want to say that those times of giving back a lot of times we think well I can't afford to take time off or I can't I don't have the time for this but, but a lot of times diverting our attention to those things are the things that's going to give us back our energy So your challenge this week is to find a way to give, whether that is through money or through your time. I highly encourage your time, something face to face where you can really see the impact that you're doing. Giving money is always so, so helpful, but I think sometimes the giving of our time is what helps us the most. And since I already gave him a major shout out, if you do know any nonprofits or social good companies that need a beautiful website, check out M I T T U N M-I-T-T-U-N.com. That's my husband's company. He's known for doing amazing, beautiful, gorgeous websites. And he's really fun to work with. And you'll be getting to know him a little bit more on episode 100. We've planned to have him on the show on episode 100 since I get so many of you asking about that. So I'm really excited to do that coming up. Anyways, I also wanted to remind you guys to connect with me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa. I've had a few of you reach out and ask me questions and I've been kind of getting a kick out of sending video messages back. So be sure to follow me there, connect with me there and... Other than that, leave a review and subscribe and thanks for giving your mind and the world a little love today and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a-